This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. This week, I talked to Celine DaCosta, who is a brand identity and story coach. After a series of unexpected events in Celine's life and being dissatisfied with her unfulfilling career in marketing, Celine left New York City and her job in 2016 to design the life she really wanted. This leap of faith led her to travel the world and create a social experiment to circumnavigate the globe by staying with people whom she shared a human connection. She spent close to a year putting her life and trust into other people's hands who are mostly strangers. This adventure taught Celine everyone has a story to tell and that we have the power to change the direction of our journey. Today, Celine travels the globe as a brand identity and story coach and has written a book of short stories from her journey, The Art of Being Human. On this episode, Celine shares how travel has redefined her outlook on networking and how we can create a captivating brand story. I hope you enjoyed this interview because this was such a fun one for me. Celine is such a joy to talk to and she's even more incredible if you meet her in person. for joining me here today. Can you fill in the gaps of your story and why you live an offbeat life? Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's it's quite a long story, but I can uh, I can start. I have an offbeat life because passion. I've always wanted to travel. I've always wanted to be a, a digital nomad. And the second I found my opening, I went off and I did it. <laughs> I know that you have been traveling a lot in the last few years. Can you tell us about what made you decide to finally take that leap and go and do this social experiment that you've been doing? And you actually created a book about it. The story is I used to work in New York City at a corporate job. I was in advertising as a strategist. And I did this for a few years. I felt incredibly unsatisfied for it uh, with it for a few reasons. One, as you know, New York life is not easy at all. Very stressful, very expensive, very rushed, and it feels very superficial at times. I felt like I was a hamster on a wheel and uh, I kept just running and running. And then I kept asking myself, what am I really getting out of it? Um, and, and also one of the things about my corporate life that really frustrated me was I felt like there was this huge lack of real authentic human connection. Because of course, like every day you go out with drinks with friends, you're texting people, um, you're messaging them, you're going on Facebook. But when did I really have those moments of, of like, let's have a real deep conversation? It's, it's a little bit difficult to have, in, you know, a, a noisy bar uh, in Manhattan. There was a bunch of events that happened in my life over the course of uh, actually just a few months. So I have to call it fate. And those events propelled me to essentially just break and be like, okay, you know what? That's it. I'm changing my life. And I had one moment where I said that. From then on, um, I said, in six months' time, I'm, I'm changing. My life is going to be changed. I'm going to do something. I had no idea what it would be, but I knew that it would have to change. That's actually where the idea of my social experiment was born because I initially was 
looking at jobs in Europe or trying to move abroad. And I was just doing all these things. And I remember one day I had this like crazy idea. Like, what if I just left everything and I traveled? But then my type A self was, well, if you do that, you still don't have a purpose. Like, what are you actually doing? And I was like, okay, what if I make an experiment out of this? What if I make this um, into like an event, into something I can write articles about, something that people can rally behind? Uh, and from there, I started to reverse engineer to see how I could create a social experiment that was really interesting and compelling. It was challenging for me. It was possible. Um, and also that I would, it would allow me to do the things I love, which is, you know, writing, having that real con connection with people and of course, traveling. So the experiment that I designed that I came up with is that I would try to circumnavigate the globe by couchsurfing, but I would not, I know it's couchsurfing is the name of the website, but I would not use the website at all. Um, but actually try to travel the world staying with people who were connected to me in some way, shape or form. So that could be like a friend, a friend of a friend, someone I met while I was traveling. The challenge here was that I would have to every single place I wanted to visit on the planet. I even if it was some random place like random village in Nepal, I had to find somebody who through, through some degree uh, was connected to me. Then I left and I started to do it. I got on a one way ticket to Europe and I started doing it. Fast forwarding, the in the end, uh, I did end up circumnavigating the globe and uh, I traveled to 17 countries um, and four continents um, in almost the course of a year. And I had over 70 people host me. And then after the project was officially closed, I just kept going. Uh, and now I've had like over 100 people host me in 25 countries and five continents. So it's still unofficially going. And uh, I've written a book of short stories about it as well. Oh my God. <laughs> I am in love with your project, Celine. <laughs> First of all, you made a purpose from your journey. We all think about that book, Eat, Pray, Love, and we want to do, <laughs> we all want to just quit our job and do that. But you actually made a purpose for yourself, not just by giving yourself this trip or holiday, but you were able to really have this authentic connection with people that you're right, we often don't really have, especially here in New York City, because we're so busy. And it's so hard to get people together, even when you're in front of each other and just talk to each other, look each other in the eyes without any distraction, especially with the internet, with social media, all of that stuff. So this is such a beautiful experiment. And I'm so glad that you were able to do it because I personally love networking and doing it the right way. It was networking complete. And it's such, you know, networking is such a dirty word, especially in uh, in the city, in, you know, big urban cities. But to me, networking has always been something that is it's really this idea of like, what commonality do you have with this other human being and how can you help one another in a way that's meaningful? And as I was traveling um, and networking um, with these people, there was nothing in it for them other than than being part of, of something that I dreamed of. I would tell them this project and be like, okay, I have this crazy dream and I want to travel the world and I want to stay with people. Can I stay with you? And it was like such a, almost such an absurd question that people were like, okay, I need to see what this girl is all about. These completely random people let me in 
and I got to meet them in a way that, I mean, imagine, right? Like a stranger, the first time you meet them, usually it's like you're at a coffee shop and there's like this wall, this barrier, and you're like talking and they're like totally able to get away, walk, walk away if they want to. And there's like a safety net, right? I was like, okay, I don't want to interact with a stranger anymore. Okay, bye. Um, but, but I would be going into these strangers' homes at first sight and, and I would be staying or like have a commitment to staying in those homes. So there was no other choice than for us to like have a conversation, than for us to have that authentic connection, to speak, to get to know each other, literally in the vulnerability of someone's home. It just completely redefined the way that I looked at networking, the way I looked at creating like connections with people instead of, you know, talking about the weather and talking about all these frivolous things. Why we have 24 hours together, 48 hours. Why not make the most of it? Why not actually have these real profound and meaningful conversations with somebody it's transformative and to be honest uh nowadays when i meet people that's all i really want i'm not even interested in in the other frivolous stuff anymore i love the fact that you call it connecting so maybe we could change it from networking to connecting right i'm sure that someone's gonna find a way to make it a dirty word (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious you did this and it definitely changed you as a person from from your story and what you've gone through. But how did it change the way you traveled? I mean, did you have any misconceptions before you even went in there? What about safety issues? What were people telling you before you even got into doing this trip and doing this journey? So I actually expected way more resistance than I ended up with than I got. Um, I thought that, you know, when I would tell people like, yeah, I have this plan to like sleep on random people's couches uh, around the world. I thought that everyone was going to have a meltdown and some people did, but the people who actually supported me the most were like, you know what, do it. Like we believe in you. Um, So I think that it's, yes, it absolutely changed me as a person in the sense that I developed this faith and trust in humanity as a whole. And it changed the way I travel in the sense that, well, first of all, I wasn't staying in hostels or like I was literally staying in local, a lot of people that were locals in their homes and you couldn't demand things. You couldn't, and I wouldn't, it's not like a hostel where it's like, oh God, there's like, my sheets are dirty, change them. You know, you get into this environment and this is what you're served and you have to make the most of it and you have to enjoy it and you have to learn to appreciate it for what it is, you know? So I stayed in little huts and cots on the ground and I stayed in penthouses. Uh, It really taught me to just go with the flow and just, it wasn't about the actual luxury or the quality of the place, more so the people that were, were inhabiting it. And in terms of safety, oh yeah, I get this all the time, all the time. And, and understandably so. Um, people saying, oh my God, like, what are you thinking? Like staying in people's homes. What if they hurt you? What if, they, what if this, what if that, what if this legitimate points? And uh, I'm going to try to explain it the best way I can, which is a really balanced mix of intuition and common sense. Have you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's he wrote this book that it says for you to be really, really good at anything, you need to put in 10,000 hours or more. So I always think that for me, like, I, you know, unfortunately, I don't have many things in my life that I put 10,000 hours in. But I'm pretty confident I put 10,000 hours in people and talking to them and listening to them and, uh, and having these interactions to the point where I do have a strong intuition of like how someone is and if they want to hurt or help me simply by just uh, interacting with them. But, you know, again, it's not just about intuition. 
because you also have to have a, an exit plan. Always be able to not just completely trust yourself, but 80%, 90% trust and 10% like, okay, what's, what's plan B, right? So with me, I had um, in my first trip, I had um, 73 hosts. And of the 73 hosts, I only had one situation where I was like, okay, I need to evacuate and I need to escape the situation because I used common sense after my intuition. And statistically speaking, we're talking about a one, two percent freak rate, you know, like weirdo rate. So um, I think it's still representative of the fact that of all the people in this world, I do strongly believe that most people have good intentions or at least want to have good intentions. And the people who do evil, the people who do wrong are in that minority. And unfortunately, they cause the most damage. But I think it's the one to two percent. When you started this journey, you didn't know what was going to happen, but then learning how human beings are generally really helpful and very giving. And I want to go back to also when you're going to all of these different places, you stayed in a penthouse and then you were in a hut. And it must be so interesting, the type of conversations you have with the people on the penthouse and someone who lives in a hut and their perspective on life. It's uh, interesting because in full transparency, I used to be a person who years ago really, really valued material things. I wouldn't leave the house without brand clothes. Like I needed to have all the brand clothes. Shoes had to be expensive. Like I had to have the nice bags, right? So I definitely used to buy into that, this idea of all the nice things and, and really dress up nicely and spend a lot of money and present yourself and yada, yada. And Funny enough, one of the challenges when I left um, home is I, I, I traveled with a carry-on for nine months. on, And that means that all my cute shoes, like Italian leather shoes and, and the brands I had, like they were not going to do me any good. And in those nine months, I traveled with basic like sneakers, a pair of sneakers, a pair of sandals and a pair of flats, and then three pairs of jeans and, and just everything that I could count on one hand. And one of the things I realized as I was traveling I had everything I needed in, the, in that little carry-on, in that little carry-on of things, items that nothing costs more than 50 bucks a piece, maybe. And so I went from the state of extreme materialism to extreme minimalism, figure out how little that I had. But then, you know, when I got home about a year later, I was like, I still like my Italian shoot. Like, I still like my things. And am, am is it wrong for me to want to wear nice things after I've lived and seen how other people in the world live, after I've traveled and know rationally and logically know that I can make do with less. And one of the realizations that I had that I also learned, you know, from the people that I was traveling is that in the end, you need to develop who you are and you need to grow yourself. And it's okay to have things or to have a nice house or to have a nice car as long as you don't identify with it. Because the second you think you are that nice car, you are that nice house, you are those, those uh, nice clothes, that's where you start to lose yourself and you start to lose that humanity. Because I met people who, again, like were very wealthy and they carried themselves with so much humility. Like you couldn't, you wouldn't see a single designer piece on them, you know, but they, I mean, they could certainly afford it. And, I, and I've seen people who had like Nike sneakers who, that are like retailing for $400. And, you know, they're, they're living in a tiny home. And it's like, what, what are you, where are you putting your values? I think that the ex living in extreme ways helped me find that there's rich people who you'll go to their home and 
they will really take the time to sit with you and talk to you, even though they're very busy. There's also rich people who you'll go into their home and they won't even think to offer you a cup of water as opposed to poor people who will have nothing and they'll offer you everything they have. And then there's poor people who have nothing and will resent you for what you have. Nothing is black and white. Reality is messy. And I think that at the end of the day, what really, really matters is, is what are your values? Are you treating other people well? Are you doing the best that you can do? And if you're you know, making enough money along the way or like you, you want to buy yourself a nice bag or whatever it is along the way and you're okay with you know, the bag being lost tomorrow and it's not the end of the world or, or you donate it or you give it to someone else, then that's totally fine. Have what you need. I love all of the things that you've learned from this journey it is so valuable, so much more valuable than if you just read about it, you know? <laughs> For me, I, I believe in experiencing things instead of just reading about them. I think that when you experiences really strongly shape our beliefs for the better and for the worse. Um, for me, I just so much believe that, that people are good, that people are kind, that people want to help. Not just because I'm sitting in a bubble thinking, you know, being protected. And, and of course, I'm not going to deny that I grew up in, in a first world country, that I do have um, a sense of privilege that maybe, you know, somebody who lived in a third or fourth world country doesn't have. But I don't leave myself in this bubble, right? I do make an active effort to go to those countries, to, to put myself out there, to stay with locals, to not stay in a hotel. And from those experiences, that has really crystallized this belief that I have about people because I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've, I've seen the way that I've struggled and the way that people have helped me. I've seen and spoken to and connected with the people who opened their homes to me, people who maybe didn't seem so friendly at the beginning, but then completely opened up. I just think that with the right attitude, when we approach people with the right attitude, with the right intentions, and we show them that. I think it's hard for somebody, even somebody who's having like a terrible day and super grumpy, you smile at them and that can completely change that the way that they interact with you. Celine, let's look back uh, when you first wanted to realize this goal and this dream that you wanted to do. What was the first steps that you took in order to achieve it, especially for somebody who is still in their bubble, but they don't know how to get out of it? What would be the first steps you think that they should take? Step number one is you have to get clear on what you want, right? So that doesn't mean that, like, I didn't know when, when I decided I was going to make this change in my life, I had no idea that I, I was like six months later, I'd be getting on a plane, going to on this social experiment and traveling the world. Blah, blah. Like, I had no idea. You know, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm going to apply to jobs in Europe, whatever. But what I did know is I'm going to change something about my life. And it's going to in six months from now, it's going to be something's going to change, right? So that first step is the foundation of set yourself a, de a deadline and know that you're going to create a change. And then you reverse engineer to understand what that change is. So you, you, you have to start taking the steps forward, even if you don't know what, at, what is at the end of the tunnel. So for me, it's like the next day I woke up, what did I do? Uh, I started to apply for jobs in Europe. I set up my savings account so that 20% of my salary was going to go directly into my savings so I could uh, accumulate, save up quicker, quicker, right? Even if that meant sacrificing uh, my life, uh, you know, like going out or like doing things that I enjoyed. And then I, for example, um, started applying that week for extra freelance jobs that I could take on the side. So I didn't know what I was going to do, 
but I was taking the steps to do it, to set myself up financially, to set myself up for some sort of change, for some sort of interviews. And as time went by, it, I started to get clarity, for example, on, on the project that I wanted to travel. And because, and as I was doing that, I was already doing the other execution steps, which means by the time I had full clarity, like, okay, I'm going to go. I had some money saved up. I already had like connections in, in different companies abroad, which uh, funny enough, I tapped into later. Um, I was already, I already had progress. And I, in my mind, three months in after I finally was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I had already like absolute concrete clarity that I was not going back. So there was no going back. There was only going forward, right? Because I had already taken all these steps as opposed to like, you know, just kind of passively being like, oh, let me think about what I want to do. And then one day you're like, okay, let me do this project. Uh, and then you think about it, and you're like, oh, no, it sounds too hard. And then you just go back to your job, right? The, by the time I realized what I was going to do, there was no going back. I had already taken the steps. I was already planning my exit strategy. So, so I think that one of the things that people get really blocked, uh, and here's actually, I think one of another, I don't know if it's a hack, but it's something that is incredibly important. Write down, like what I did is I wrote down a list of all the reasons why I couldn't or wouldn't do this, right? My apartment, uh, how am I going to live in a carry-on for six, for, you know, nine months? What am I going to do with my apartment? How am I going to afford it, right? And like basically write down all the fears and all the things that are keeping you from doing what you want to do. And then literally sit down with them and be like, okay, like, how do I make it work? Instead of saying, I can afford it, ask yourself, but how can I, how can I afford it? Right. If I take on extra freelance jobs, yes, I'll be working 80 hours a week, but I'll be making this money much faster. If I put aside 20% of my salary, I don't even have to think about it. I already know that a little bit is going into a fund. If I do this, if I do that, and then I can afford it. What's next? Like my apartment. Okay. So then I need to break a contract. How do I do it? Do I find a subletter? How do I like X, Y, Z? Like you just kind of keep workshopping or in my case, you know, like, okay, even if I save enough money, it's not going to be enough to travel for as long as I want to. So how can I hack this? Well, I could stay with other people. That's crazy. How can I stay with other people? Well, what if I make a project out of it? Yeah. But then what do I do? Well, I can make a project that I can write about because I love writing. Right. And I can connect with them in a way that's really intricate and interesting. Like, let me get a network, someone in my network, instead of just going on couchsurfing.com and just having it be random strangers. And, and, and from there, you see how like the actual process of reverse engineering and sitting down when working with my fears actually created my project in many ways. And, and then from there, I had the ingredients and I was like, okay, well, what can I do with uh, you know, this budget and this desire to connect with people? And this need to travel and these places that I want to go to, how can I put this all together? And then it's a matter of brainstorming and being creative. It's incredible, Celine, how you created all of the problems, all the scenarios that could possibly go wrong. And you answered all of them. For me, there is no excuse. And, and I do not accept excuses from myself or from others. If I can't do it, then I, it's not an excuse. Oh, I can't do this because I'm busy because of that. No, it's because it's not a priority because I don't want to. But if something is important to you and if you really want it, you are going to make it work. You should make it work. And if you're not doing that, then you don't really want it. And as long as you have the honesty and transparency to admit that, it's totally fine for you to not want it. Celine, what has been the biggest setback that you've encountered and how did you handle it? 
It's interesting because throughout my travels, I didn't have any physical setbacks as in like, yes, I got lost and, and I had some situations where I was like, oh my God, I don't know where I am, but nothing was unresolvable. Biggest, most difficult things that I faced were all internal because, uh, you know, if I, I, like I just said, I do have this philosophy of like, okay, it's a problem. How do I solve it? So anything that is, you know, bus is missed or, or flight is missed or whatever, it's just okay. A matter of, t- you know, sitting back and being like, all right, how do we fix this? How do I get on the next flight? So for me, that that's not really a setback, but internally, oh man, I was, I was really hurting because I went from this place of a very, very type A, like very driven, like I'm going to get promoted like five times in a year and I'm going to rise up and I'm going to like be in charge of an entire department by age of 30. I'm going to have this gorgeous apartment and all these nice things and blah, blah, blah. I'm in like mindset to just completely disconnecting from that person and and being in a place of like, I'm going to give it all up. And as you can imagine, to go from one extreme to the other is not necessarily healthy because Yes, I got on a carry-on with these, like, you know, with a small carry-on, and then I started traveling the world and talking about human connection and feeling human connection, but there's still a gap because um, you can't just go from one thing to the other, like, from zero to 60 um, in a few seconds because your mind needs to catch up. You, You need to process what you're doing. So I think one of the major setbacks that I had is that I was consuming too much, but I wasn't digesting. I was gorging myself on all these amazing experiences and human connections, but then I, I was still going at a New York pace to give you an example. Right. So even though I was traveling and going to these places and being like, all right, I'm going to relax and talk to people. I was still rushing through things. I was still rushing from, you know, the morning when you like just got out of the shower and you have your granola bar in your hand and running to work through the subway, go, go, go get past these people, get to work on time. And as I was traveling, I continuously caught myself, caught myself having this mindset of rushing through things, going faster. And I was battling with this idea of like, no, 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 but I I can't get more. I need to sit down and process what I have, the experiences that I've got, that I've taken. Like I need to sit back and, and maybe do nothing for a few days. And that was really hard for me to just tell myself that it was okay to do nothing. Um, so yeah, I think the, that was, that was a major setback was like aligning my new lifestyle with my old mindset. Cause they both need to be coherent for you to be well. So I burned out in other words, very long story, short, short story, my major setback, I burned out hard. What has been the worst advice that you have ever received? I, so in my old job, I, I remember that I was like really frustrated because I don't believe in this idea of like coming into the office at 9 a.m. and then leaving, being the last one to leave until like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And and that to me is just such an absurd. And, and, you know, maybe it works for some people. It does not work for me. I just don't operate that way. I don't like it. I don't like being in the same place um, for that long. I get my work. I'm really efficient with my work um, in the sense that I would rather like hyper-focus on something for three hours and not be on my phone, not be on Facebook, not do anything than do the same thing over the course of like five to eight hours. Um, so I'm quite like my working style is like hyper-focus, walk around, right? Hyper-focus, walk around. And everybody has their own working styles. But anyway, the reason why I mention this is because I was really struggling with this. And I remember that I was like in a year, a review um, for like a work review, like, you know, the, every twice a year or something, they like pull you in an office and tell you how you're doing. And one of the complaints was that I was like leaving on time or that I would leave the office 
because I would just go work from a, a coffee shop. And apparently it was important for me to like be there and present for office politics. And I remember she said to me, my director, she said, you know, you need to use this time that you're young to really, really work and, and just come into the office at nine o'clock, do your 12 hours, work really hard, impress people, impress your managers, and just, you know, get to the point where you have filing in a position of, of power, where you can, you, where you can mandate your hours. And I'm just sitting there being like, oh my God, like you are 10 years older than me and I do not envy your life at all, not even remotely. So you're asking me to, to, to basically invest half of my day and 90% of my waking hours putting my energy and soul into this company so that I could one, up, one day end up with a life that I don't even look up to? Hell no. The worst piece of advice I've ever gotten is that you have to like work really long hours for you to succeed, that you have to like grind, right? I don't, I don't believe that at all. Um, I, I think that I know I and many, many other people have matched our corporate salaries, just essentially like I work 20 hours a week, like 15 hours a week, maybe. And then you know, I use the rest of the time to like work on my writing, on my passion projects. And I'm doing just as well as I was two years ago. So better, uh, no, actually, let me completely retract that statement. <laughs> I'm doing infinitely better, right? <laughs> so that's just BS. Like, don't believe what people tell you about how you need to work. You have a working style. You have things you want to accomplish. You and only you can determine how fast you work, how well you work, and where you get to work. So if you're the type of person who needs to go into an office every day and work for eight hours, wonderful. Just keep killing it. I'm not. I need constant stimulation. I need to constantly be outside. And I, I don't like working long hours. I just, I like to play. So that's my reality. I got to work with it. It's who I am. So now I got to find ways to work with that, with work, work with my style. It's also really powerful, Celine, how you kind of look everybody around you and didn't want anyone's life there. That just shows you something. Because then if you really don't, want that type of lifestyle and everyone around you has that it kind of makes you rethink about what you're doing with your life as well huge warning sign that I completely lied to myself about for about three years I used to think it was like I had a problem maybe like I was like oh maybe I have an issue with my managers or something like that but I swear to you over the course of, of those years working I can name you not even like one person whose life I was looking at who was senior to me like a few positions up or director or whatever and whose life was like, wow, I want to, I want that life. Like, I want to be like that. And to me, that's a huge, huge indicator that you're not on the right path because you want to look at people who are a few years ahead of you or, or, or not, not even in age, but just in experience or in, uh, in what they're doing with their lives. You want to look at their lives and be like, I want to be this person. I want to do these things. I want to do this kind of work. Like that is what I want. This excites me. Right. And if you're blessed enough to have one of these people as your mentor or your boss or your manager, you are going to fly because you're going to do what it takes to be like that person. And not in the sense that you want to copy them, but you're going to want to learn from them and you're going to advance quite quickly. And for me, I found that I just didn't care for, it just, it didn't motivate me or excite me at all to see the way that these, that people would be ahead of senior to me were living their lives. And that to me was like, and then I would look at somebody who was like maybe traveling or like I had a mentor who just wrote a book or something like that. I'm like, wow, this is, this is what I want. Um, those are the people you need to follow. Those are the people you need to learn from. 
this is why for me social media is so incredible because now we can reach out to anybody that we want to have as our mentor or who we really admire and then you get to talk to them and get their energy and their vibe and you don't feel so alone anymore you know like this is the power of of social media in that sense not just for us to put pretty pictures in but it's also to connect with each other because that's how we find people who are similar to us similar to our values how were you able to finance this chosen career from the start and how do you continue to create income today when i first started as i mentioned i spent about six months saving. So um, I was putting aside 20% of my paycheck, I was taking on um, freelance projects on the side, selling some of my things, like basically every hack possible for me to save up enough money. And then I started traveling. And uh, I was fortunate enough that I pitched my public my project a month ahead of time to a couple publications, I started writing for Forbes, who wanted me to document the project. And I started writing for a few other um, publications. So I was making a little bit of income through my writing. And then I began to grow my social media presence. And then from there, I was able to start doing uh, collaborations with brands. And I was able to like get on tours and, and, you know, exchange when I was quite small I was exchanging my services for for things that I needed so then I wasn't actually spending money and then as this progressed I actually started to grow and do a little bit of marketing consulting and so I was basically scrapping by I don't know if that's the word like I was just making ends meet for about like a year, which is where I was doing my, pro- I didn't really care because it w- I was in the middle of my project and documenting my project. And then I just hit a point where like this somehow became a business where now, you know, what I do is I- I'm a professional storyteller and I know it sounds funny because it's a title I totally made up, but it's what I do for a living. Right. So I think that, that that's fair. So what that means is I do several different things that all tie under my storytelling work, which is one, I work with entrepreneurs one-on-one and I do uh, brand story and identity coaching. So I work with them to basically help them create this brand story, this powerful story behind their brand and how it, to, to develop it in a way that they can clearly communicate it to their clients um, through their social media channels, through their website and so on. So I get help them get to this point of like, ah, oh, I believe in this. I have this big vision and I don't know how to communicate. It's coming out. It's a whole mess. Uh, and I don't know what to, how to talk about it in a way that's powerful and effective to like, okay, this is my brand story. This is my vision. This is what I stand for. This is why you should believe in me as a brand and th- how to execute it through your content. So that's one thing that I do um, is the coaching. Another thing that I do is I do uh, storytelling with collaborations with brands. So I help brands with, with their storytelling. And then I write. I write. Uh, I just published my first book, which is called The Art of Being Human. And it's a collection of short stories about my experiment, social experiment around the world. I'm working on another collection of short stories. I'm working on a memoir. And I also work with people to help them write their stories. Um, so I do writing for them as well. Wow, those are so many incredible things, all of these projects that you have. And you created such a unique niche. Everyone, make sure you also sign up for the extended interview with Celine because she's going to give us more tips on how to create really powerful storytelling later on. So I can't wait to share that, Celine. (laughs) (laughs) All the secrets. What legacy would you like to leave and what do you want to be remembered for? 
Well, it's funny. That's literally like the question I ask for my clients, like for their brand. But uh, now I have to apply it to myself. I want to have inspired people and not only inspired, but motivated them to have taken a deeper look in themselves and, and reflected on themselves and gone really pushed themselves to connect with the people around them. You know, I, I want to have been somebody who through my writing and through my actions and through the things that I say and do have helped other people be able to get from this place of like, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm alone. Like I'm in this situation in this bubble and I don't know how to escape it. And I don't think I'm going to, to this place of, you know what? She did it right. Someone else, these people did it. And, and I can tell my story. I can pursue my dream. I can do this and I'm not alone. So if I can change at least one person's life to be like, I'm going to pursue my dream, I'm going to go out there and I'm not going to be scared to, to write my own story and to be the person that I want to be. And I'm also going to pay this forward to the people that I meet. If I can do that once, I would be happy. If I can do that, hopefully like a thousand times, a million times, I think that my life would be the best lived that it could have possibly been. Let's get to some fun questions. Some people like myself, I nerd out on interviewing, inspiring people like yourself and hiking. What about you? What do you nerd out on? If there's something that I'm really, really nerdy, nerdy passionate about, it's like questioning people. Like, and, I, and I don't mean like questioning in the, oh, why do you do this? It's like I, I can literally sit with somebody who's interesting and captures my attention and ask them like a thousand questions for like three hours and just like learn their entire life history and just sit there being but why'd you do that? And why'd you do that? And why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? And I just do that over and over again to the point where people have been like, are you a journalist? Like, is this like secretly and like, <laughs> like, an, are you writing a piece about what is happening? I'm like, no, I just genuinely want to know. Right. Because everything that I I'm a writer and I, I love it. Right. And everything that you say to me could be a story. So I love sitting there picking people's brains and I have like no, no agenda, but I know that if I sit there long enough, someone's going to say something really interesting or really thought provoking, right? Or something that uh, I'm going to want to write about or like I'm going to want to think about later. Do, do you do this on a date? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, probably. I do it all the time. Like I ask so many questions and I have to like balance the whole, should I be embarrassed about this with like the whole like, but this is the real me. You know what I mean? And, and, and for me, I can totally no problem within three minutes of, of, of meeting you be like let's talk about like the meaning of the universe like I don't even it's just <laughs> it's almost embarrassing I guess that's yeah that's something I nerd out on I really love having like these really deep philosophical conversations if you were given a one minute ad slot during the Super Bowl with the potential to reach millions what would you fill it with well there'd be a lot of visuals because they speak more they'll probably speak more than what I can say in a minute but I think it would be something along the lines of showing the way that I or other people have connected with others like um, around the world and how no matter where we go and no matter what, what we're going through, there's always somebody there. Like, and I think the overall message that I guess would be in the last three seconds of the ad is we are not alone. The visuals of the ad would be something along the lines of, Look at this person trying to, you know, win a world record. Look at this person trying to travel the world. Look at this person trying to get a job. Look at this person trying to have a child. Uh, and every single time anyone is trying to accomplish something great, they always need 
other people and to, to support them, to be there, either, either like physically help them, morally help them, uh, emotionally, whatever it may be. We just don't live in a silo. We can't accomplish anything great or changing for anyone else unless we have support of other people, whether it be strangers or friends or family. So Celine, what are you working on today that's really exciting to you? The first thing that I'm working on is I'm working on developing my brand story and identity coaching business because I think it's been quite helpful to the people that I've worked with. So um, continuing to do my coaching and helping people create um, and be able to share their story. And uh, another thing I am working on is um, doing like a few exciting partnerships that are going to take me through South America. And um, I'm going to be um, coaching, doing like my brand identity coaching to, for example, college students. So I'm going to start to actually teach people, which did um, not just one-on-one, but groups. So I'm super excited about that. And I'm also working on a memoir. I mean, in the meantime, I was, I launched the book that I just launched. I'm launching another one of short stories, but, but uh, that's just to hold me over as I'm working on a larger uh, memoir about, about my experience. Wonderful. I can't wait to check all of those things out and we'll definitely stalk you in social media as well. Yay. <laughs> So if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? I'm everywhere. <laughs> First and foremost, um, to see, uh, you know, what, I, what I'm working on and my blog articles. Essentially, my hub is my website, which is um, CelineDaCosta.com. It's C-E-L-I-N-N-E-D-A-C-O-S-T-A.com. And I believe it's H-T-T-P-S, like the little two dots and slash slash there's no ww and then on my social media is where i post um daily stories of inspiration of conversations i've had with people around the world yeah just little little caption stories a day one minute of inspiration a day i guess is how you could say it so i on instagram is my main platform and then facebook as well as twitter and it's all at celine DaCosta. Perfect. Thank you so much, Celine. I can't wait to see what more you're going to be doing because it's so exciting. And don't forget to sign up for the extended interview with Celine because she's going to give us a lot of incredible tips on how to create powerful storytelling. Thank you, Celine, for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Celine. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview with Celine where she shares how to become a powerful storyteller. Love a good audiobook as much as I do? Of course you do. Well, you're in luck because I have teamed up with audible.com to give you a 30-day trial for free make sure to visit offbeatbook.com again that's offbeatbook.com to get that incredible trial 